Hey everybody, it's comedian Trent McClellan and you're listening to my podcast called The Generators. Every single week I have a cool guest and we talk about uh, life, professions, creativity, success, failure, and all sorts of other cool stuff. And every single one of these conversations I learned a great deal and I'm pretty sure you're going to learn a great deal too. So uh, hang on tight and thanks for listening to The Generators. Yo, everybody, what's up, and welcome to the generators. Yay! The crowd goes crazy, absolutely insane. Uh, hope you're having a good week and enjoying whatever's going on in your neck of the woods. Um, I'm recording this on Sunday evening here in uh, the new Trent's Comedy World headquarters here in Halifax, uh, Nova Scotia, Canada, and um. Pretty beautiful day here. Fall is starting to settle in here in uh, in Nova Scotia, but it's been quite warm. Uh, and it was weird because on my trek out west doing some of the road pieces for 22, um, I was surprised at how uh, how chilly it was out west. But it has not been that way here in Nova Scotia thus far. And uh, apparently it's supposed to be nice all week, which is awesome. I, um, I'm not a winter guy per se. I like winter just during the holiday season, I like it for about five, six days, and then I would prefer to have it be about 24, 25 degrees after that. Um, there, that's a confession. That's a little bit about me. You probably didn't know. And um, so I think uh, the longer we can hold off on winter, the better. That's, uh, that's uh, I really believe this, and this is something that I, uh, I'll hold on to. And if questioned uh, in court, I would also say the same. So, uh, so there. This week, what I thought I would do is uh, give you a little kind of behind the scenes and a bit of a rundown as to how 22 Minutes works. If you're listening to this show in the United States of America, uh, I will tell you that uh, this show, 22 Minutes, is kind of a combination of, I would say, Saturday Night Live kind of meets Daily Show. Uh, it's, uh, it's 22 minutes long, which is a half an hour, really, with commercials. And uh, there's a lot of political satire and just kind of current day event stuff that's uh, tackled every single week through through jokes, desk jokes, and then uh, some sketches as well and some uh, road pieces. So I have joined that show and uh, I got there the first week. We kind of just did some stuff, what we call shelf work, pantry work. And pantry work is where you kind of just come in with some ideas and they just shoot sketches that they think are a little bit uh, evergreen or timeless and so that they're always there in the pantry and we can use them if we need them uh, throughout the course of the season. So that was kind of the first week. The second week of the show, I found myself, uh, I was sent on the road. So they sent me out on a Monday out to Vancouver, which is the other end of the country, if you don't know. And um was in Vancouver for two days, then a day in Calgary, then a day in Edmonton, and then flew back to Halifax. So that was really weird because I just kind of got settled in time-wise, like, you know, the time zone, time change. Um, you know, it, it's a three-hour time change between Alberta and Halifax. And then I finally settle in Halifax and get myself established and it starts to feel normal. And then you go out west again 
but we're going all the way to BC, which is a four-hour time difference. Then I'm spending another two days in Alberta after that, and I'm back out east again. So my clock was all messed up, man. It was like I I was having trouble sleeping and lay in bed and just um, didn't sleep at all and felt like I wasn't. I, my alarm would go off, and it was like okay, you know, like it wasn't. Uh, I didn't feel like I rested at all. So it was a little rough for me when I came back here and trying to settle in but it seems like things have kind of um, regulated a little bit now and uh, I feel back to normal and so I was doing the road pieces while they were kind of um, producing all the sketches throughout the week excuse me and then I came back uh, for the Friday late Friday and then of course uh, the next week started which was this week that we're just wrapping up so basically how it works is this you're kind of uh Let's go Monday to Friday. So Monday is the actual show taping where a live audience is brought in. And um, these tickets are are a hot commodity because it's uh, studios are always a lot smaller than you think they are on television. And um, the city of Halifax really gets behind the show and they support it. And folks love to come. And, you know, folks come in from other provinces to watch the show as well. And um, so it's a big thing. So that taping is done on Monday. And uh, a taping can last anywhere from, I don't know, like an hour to an hour and a half, anywhere in that range. Uh, But only 22 minutes is used in the actual broadcast on Tuesday evening. So that's how that works. And Monday is kind of a day where they may shoot a few sketches in the morning. And then those are kind of put together and ready for air on the screens in the studio so the the, uh, audience can kind of uh, can watch those on the big screens in there. And they want to get feedback from the audience in terms of, you know, what bits worked, what didn't work. And uh, they'll use that information to kind of help make their decision as to what final 22 minutes makes a show. So that's on the Monday. So when you are getting ready to watch the show on Tuesday night, we've already started uh, this the next week's show. So Tuesday morning is um, is kind of pitch day where uh, I have a, a meeting with the executive producer and all the writers and all the cast and uh we all throw out our ideas we'll say hey you know we saw this going on in the news i wouldn't mind trying to write a sketch about this um the executive producer might say hey i want i would like someone to do some stuff on the following topics usually it's something that's current going on that week news wise maybe it's something political could be something anything going on in the news um and then stuff that goes on in everyday life, too, is always some good fodder for material as well. So we, we'll we'll talk about that. Usually everyone fires out a couple of ideas. It goes around the table. And then it's all kind of noted and sent to us in an email. So we all have it as a reference point. And then uh, that meeting is done on Tuesday. Uh, usually it's about um, 11 o'clock-ish in the morning. And then it's um, we're off to go write our stuff. So... You off, go off and write a bunch of sketches, um, and uh, some of which you may have pitched during that meeting, some of which you may not have. And uh, it's usually a late night for most folks. I think folks, you know, if you can get it done, you know, sometimes it just flows and you write them pretty quickly and it comes easily. And other times you're having a harder time trying to either come up with an idea or something that's unique that hasn't, hasn't already been done. Um, you're scanning through news to see what's what's going on and what's on the lips of people. And sometimes, again, it can be very easy or it can be a tough grind. So quite often when people come in on the Tuesday or on the Wednesday, sorry, with their idea, with their new sketches formed, they're pretty tired and bagged out because it's probably been a, a night of not a lot of sleep or they're up 
early in the morning finishing their sketches. So it, it's um, it's uh, you're a little tired and worn out come Wednesday, that's for sure. So it was a green tea uh, green tea break there, guys. Just added some green uh, some green tea. So then you submit everything and then you wait. And then you wait, the waiting game. And as Tom Petty says, the waiting is the hardest part. You submit your stuff and then you wait to see what is chosen. And I mean, I can't even pretend to know what the executive producer has got to uh, what they have to juggle in terms of what's been submitted, what they think is going to work, what they think is actually shootable. That's a big thing when you're writing sketches. I mean, you don't have a full week to shoot a sketch. You have maybe a couple of hours to do it. So to, you know, have something with a car chase scene and this thing explodes and then whatever, it's like, unless they can kind of green screen it where you just kind of put the green screen in the back and put video over the back of it, unless they can do something like that. But quite often that doesn't work as well either. So when you're writing your sketches, you have to kind of really be realistic about what it is that can actually be shot and done. I mean, it's, it's fantastic to use your imagination and take you off to these mythical places and uh, and to dream up all this fantastic stuff. But there's got to be a reality to can we shoot this and make it funny and somewhat realistic and believable. And so that is always an equation that uh, is hard to figure out. And so you submit your stuff and then the big book comes out uh, because there's going to be a table read usually at around one and that's when the producers have uh, kind of selected what they think has got a good shot. And it all goes into a big book. And then as one of the cast and slash correspondents, um, quite often I'm cast in some of the stuff. So I have to kind of read it quickly and find out what stuff I'm actually in. Now, these might not be sketches that I wrote. They could be written by the amazing writers that we have upstairs. And so I might find out that I'm playing a uh, fireman in a sketch. In the next sketch, I might find out I'm playing... Um, some celebrity, whatever it is. So you just kind of scan through quick to find out where, if you're in any of these things and what they are and have a quick read before you do the table read. Now the table read, uh, is when everybody comes in. So all the, most of the production team, graphics people are all sitting around. Um, the, the main table is kind of the cast and, uh, one of the head writers, and the executive producer at the main table and some of the other key players, producer production-wise, are at the main table. And then on the exterior of that uh, are a bunch of chairs where all the writers uh, sit and uh, some more production people as well. And so this this book that's been handed out to every single person, they get to read along with them. Um, and then we read them like we would, as if so I'm playing a character and the rest of the cast members are playing characters and we read them, we just kind of go through them. And um, what I realized is when you're a cast member, like this is somebody's work. So someone wrote this and they really want you to try and do a good job and sell it because a lot of times the funny is in their performance, you know. So if you have to have a British accent, then you need to bring a British accent to this bit right now, even at this table read right now. So um, it's always interesting kind of see what what is put before you and then can you – you don't have much time to prepare, so how quickly can you deliver this and make it as true as – as what the writer who wrote it wants. And, uh, and that's a challenge because you want to, uh, you know, um, present their work in a shining light so that hopefully it makes a show. I mean, that, that, that's the goal. That's why they submitted it. So there is a little bit of pressure at the table read. If you're, you're actually casting something to do a good job of it, because if you are set up or flub a line or 
whatever it is while you're reading it, um, obviously it's not going to play as well, and therefore the chance of it making it into the uh, being chosen, um, it kind of hurts those chances. So a little bit of pressure there. My first table read, I was, I was a little nervous. I was like, oh, I'm going to make sure I, I do a good job here, you know. So then uh, that goes by, maybe that's a half an hour, 40 minutes maybe, if that. And... Um, after the table read, basically what they're looking for is to kind of see what the reaction is of everybody in the room. Does stuff get laughs while it's being read? Um, and sometimes stuff does and sometimes stuff doesn't. And so then the table read wraps up and then you wait again. Now we find out what's actually getting made. Uh, you might get a phone call to my dressing room from wardrobe and hair and makeup. And they might say, hey, can you come upstairs real quick? We want to, because we're going to do this such and such sketch about the fireman, and we want to see if we have the sizes for you for the fireman outfit or whatever it is. So you go up. You might have a wig that you're going to wear, so they want to try those on. So that's all prep stuff. Now, again, in the time being, since that table read, again, it's the situation of what can they actually make. Um, and so that's what they do, executive producers and the other folks who are in like – you know, in graphics and in set design, it's like, what can we actually make based on what stuff did well during the read? And uh, now they sit around in, in a separate meeting that we're not part of and they decide what's going to be in the book and, or what's going to actually get made, what sketches will be actually be produced. And the amazing thing about this is for me is that, okay, you find out, okay, here are the sketches that are getting made. Here's the schedule for the week in terms of, okay, we're making these sketches on Thursday, these sketches are going to get made on Friday, and these sketches are going to get made on Monday. And they'll tell you, you know, who's casting those things. And, and um, But the amazing thing for me is, and I, one of my first stints as a writer on the show, this is what I found. I mean, it just shows you how, you know, you're kind of a small part of a bigger machine. You, you know, you, you come up with an idea um, as a writer or a cast member, and you write it out, and, you know, you're lucky if it's chosen excuse me and so it gets chosen but if you if you need a certain set for it so maybe it's an office or it's a um um uh, it's a school or a classroom scenario or whatever quite often you present that they go yeah we it's going to be get made someone stays all night to make that set like people stay hammering sawing wood painting um, looking for the exact replicas of certain things, like the amount of work that goes in to make things look real and to make it seem authentic is incredible to me. So while we went home and, you know, rested or did whatever, these folks stayed all night and built um, the set that was required for the sketch the next day. And so it was really eye-opening to me to kind of see how many folks it takes to to do this. And that's just on the set production side. And then there's folks who are doing wardrobe, you know, adjustments and stuff and making stuff and looking for garments and, you know, to try and make it look authentic so that when you look at it, you go, yeah, that person looks like a real fireman or that person looks like a real, you know, um, whatever the role is, an astronaut. Like it's one of the first bits I wrote was um, I wrote a, a sketch about a, um, a helicopter pilot doing traffic, you know, a traffic report in a helicopter, you know, like these morning guys do. And uh, the next morning I came in, they had a cockpit built from a helicopter and they were busting, they were busting me pretty bad. They were like, really? New guy comes in, he wants a helicopter? Are you serious? And uh, next thing you know, they had an actual cockpit of a helicopter complete with all the inside gadgets and the propeller was hooked up to, to like a record player. 
And so it actually spun slowly. Like it was amazing. That aviator sunglasses for me and a headset. And it was, I look like a helicopter pilot to this sketch. So that's not lost on me. How many talented folks uh, put the work in then to make your original idea um, come to life and make it look real. So um always incredible to to see that the next day to walk into a studio and see what set they've built overnight you know like it's it, it's phenomenal the amount of work and effort and um and just people who have a talent a gift in that area who were able to do that so that's kind of the amazing thing to come back in on a on a thursday morning and see what sets they've built overnight you're just like man how did they how did they manage to do this this is it's incredible um, so that's that day. Uh, you come in on Thursday, you'll find out what sketches you're in. You'll know that before you leave and you've already looked at been to wardrobe and hair and makeup and all that stuff on the Wednesday. And you'll know that the next morning you're going to be doing the fireman sketch at one o'clock in the afternoon. So we're going to tape it. And it's important again, to, again, to further kind of, uh, reveal how many folks are involved in, in the makings of these things. So you have, you know, um, your camera operators that are in there ready to go. The thing has been lit properly so that, you know, that's so important that everyone can, you know, be seen properly and in a flattering light and that, you know, there's no shadows. And so all that's done sound, um, people are in there. And so when you show up on set, it's like, it's time to rock and roll. Like these people, some of which have been there, you know, all night, the night before. And, you know, you have a director in there for the sketch, um, sound video people um it it's it's time to rock and roll and do your thing now so you kind of feel not that you feel a pressure but you do feel an obligation to to know your lines and to deliver and do a good job because all these people have been here all day just so you can come and do your little thing and pretend to be a fireman you know so there is a there is a little bit of sense of urgency on that moment in that moment to uh to deliver and and bring it to life and also you know someone wrote this maybe you did but maybe it was one of the writers and they'll be upstairs in the room and their sketch has been chosen and they're probably pretty delighted that it's going to get made. But you need to bring it to life and make it make it pop and give a performance that hopefully brings the laughs and kind of is true to their vision. But also sometimes things get changed by the, the director and might say, hey, just try this instead of what was written. And so sometimes there can be some little adjustments made. But, yeah, there is a sense of uh, responsibility to, to deliver uh, the material in a way that that um, that is true to the writer's voice and their vision of it, and also it's, that it's funny. I mean, it's a comedy show, so we want to make it as funny as we possibly can. And so, quite often, there's always you know adjustments that are made in the moment. And um, so, you shoot your sketches for the day. The writers upstairs will continue to write like uh, desk jokes. They're the ones that you know we just kind of do at the desk and cast do at the desk. And um, so they're constantly scanning news. Someone else's job is just to kind of scan. Um, news headlines and look for potential um, uh, headlines and stories that, you know, we could do jokes on and material on. So writers upstairs are working on that the entire time and constantly submitting copy jokes. What's the week? That's what desk jokes are called. And then they're doing a couple of reads upstairs of, of around the table just with the writers as to what ones they think are going to work. Um, Friday is going to be more sketches being made. And again, you'll come in and be brand new sets built. And again, this schedule is pretty tight because stuff has got to get made within a certain amount of time because other stuff's got to get shot. You don't have all day to shoot one sketch normally. Like you have a bunch to get done. Sometimes they have to bring in extras, so they've got to be done. And what I've learned too is that the people who work in the production office um, are phenomenal and they 
long after we leave, say, on a um, Wednesday, they are staying until late in the night as well because they have to get everything ready so that everyone can rock and roll to make the first sketch on Thursday morning. So they're doing everything from booking extras to sometimes there might be a venue location. I think last year uh, there was one sketch that was in a curling rink, so they have to go secure a curling rink from these hours to these hours. And so quite often you're, it's time sensitive because you only have this venue for two hours and you got to be out. So again, you got to come ready to, to do your thing because we don't have all day. It's got to get done. So um, again, the amount of people it takes to just put off a television show and it's 22 minutes, literally 22 minutes, is uh, is mind-blowing. And I think most people would be shocked to see how many people it takes to actually make to make 22 minutes of television. It's... Uh, I mean, I've been there, you know, numerous times, and now I'm here on a full-time basis, and I'm still, I shake my head quite often, numerous times a week, where I'm just like, my God, how did that? I don't, how is this happening? You know, so you feel very lucky to be a part of it at the same time. Um, so that's that. That's Friday, and then usually you don't do anything on the weekends. You're free to go and do your thing. Um, I think occasionally there might be some special events that go on that you might go to. Um, or have to go off and do a road piece maybe sometime down the road if it's on a weekend or kind of thing. And then uh, Monday you come in and there might be more sketches to shoot that day or a video wall thing that you might want to rehearse or whatever where it's just a video wall behind you while you're doing a bit. And uh, then it's uh, a rehearsal. So now they're going to run through all the desk jokes that they're going to do, how the show is going to run, and... Um, a last run of like desk jokes to kind of go through and select and see which ones you want to use. And after the rehearsal is done shortly after that, the audience is already uh, lining up to come in and then it is showtime. So that's it. And then again, you could tape anywhere from an hour to an hour and a half. And then um, uh, you sit and wait and see what's going to make the final uh, airing on Tuesday night. So we tape on Monday, but it doesn't air till Tuesday. But you find out when you come in on Tuesday morning, which is actually going to make it, what, what bits are going to make it from the actual live recording. So the thing I tell people, you know, when you, if people are, want to write for the show or they have questions about how it works, it's like there's so many ways that your stuff will not make it on because it might not make the first book um, on, a, on a Wednesday. It might make the first book and then it doesn't read well or they just don't think it's a good fit for the show so then it doesn't make it there. Or then it, it does read well, and now they're going to make the sketch, and so they make it. And then once it's done, played in front of a live audience, the audience reaction is not great, or for some reason it just doesn't fit into the final uh, tape, the final airing of the show on the on the Tuesday. And so there's a lot of levels you have to get through for your thing to actually be seen in the living rooms of people across the country on Tuesday evening. It's uh, There's a lot of different levels to, to pass and to get through. So... Um, you develop a pretty thick skin after a while because you. One of the things that I think a lot of people can learn, especially if you're you do creativity for a living, is that you know you uh, your thing can't be too precious. Sometimes you have to be willing for something to either not make the show at all and not get emotionally attached to it, or make it personal, or that if it does get chosen, it may be changed. It might be recast. It might be rewritten a little bit. It's. It's nothing personal. It's just what they think is going to be better for the overall show. So you have to kind of uh, part with your babies a little bit and, and let go. And that can be hard sometimes, especially if you're a solo performer. Traditionally, 
you write the material, you perform the material the way you want to do it, in the cadence you want to do it in, in the voice you want to do it in, in the volume you want to do it in. And uh, now you're a part of a bigger team and it's not all about you anymore. It's about this bigger vision as to what this show is going to need for this week. And so you have to kind of take the emotion out of it. And that can be hard at times when you think you've written something really good and you really think it'd be a perfect fit for the show and then it doesn't make it. Sometimes that can be hard to take, but you learn to get over it really quick and not attach yourself to it too much. But um, it's it's one of the biggest things you'll have to alter from being a solo performer to now being a part of the of the bigger unit because again it's, it's not all about you and what your what your vision is um and so that's kind of what a a week rundown looks like in it and uh myself personally i find i'm quite tired at the end of the week it's it's uh you know you're working hard and we're creating and we're moving on the fly and things change and of course the news is coming at you, you know, fast and furious from a million different mediums every single day. And so the show adjusts as the week goes on. Something may happen that is really newsworthy or we think is really relevant that we want to make sure we have something in the show this week about that. That might happen on a Monday morning. Meanwhile, we're going to tape in about five hours, but we're like, okay, get on that. Let's, what can we make? What can we create in that amount of time for the show, uh, for the, t- for the taping that night? So um, it's always evolving and you kind of just learn to fly by the seat of your pants and try and get comfortable with that. That's kind of just how it works. It's not, uh, again, it's ever changing and you have to be able to adapt on the fly. Things are rewritten, they're changed, they're taken out, they're moved around. It's like, it's just, it's just the way it works in order to make a show work every single week. And, and, um, it's always a work in progress. So, and it's interesting because when I was on the road, um, in Edmonton doing these road pieces and we were, I was sitting down talking to someone from, um, from the mayor's office and, uh, you know, it's just taught, we were talking about, you know, business and life and different things. And, you know, one of the things I, I said, they asked, you know, what kind of, what kind of philosophy or business advice would you say you could give to a business or an organization or a corporation? And I would say. It was weird because I didn't really pause at all. I kind of just went, I think I think more businesses and corporations have to just learn to make failure part of your process. Like you cannot be afraid to fail. Um, like if people knew just as a stand-up, for example, how often we go to an open mic and try material that doesn't work just so we can get information back from the audience on that bit that'll tell us, okay, it doesn't work. They don't understand the premise or the idea or the punchline was weak or the transition was confusing for them and you lost them. It's failure. Like you want the bit to work. You would love everything you write to work amazingly, but that's not the reality of life. So the only way to know is to put stuff out there and see if it, see if it works. And it's the same thing with 22. So many jokes are not used. So many sketches don't make it. Um, and so that's failure to a certain degree. You know, you want all your stuff to get chosen. You would love all your sketches to get made, but they don't. And, you know, there's data with that. There's information you can use back like, okay, you know, why didn't that work? Why wasn't it chosen? You try and figure it out on your own. Um, but I think when you're in the comedy world, you just, you, you don't, you can't fear failure, you know, like it's around every corner. But then once you get into the habit of, having these like, you know, mini failures all, you know, all the time, it just becomes easier to do. So you don't really fear as much anymore. Um, if you're always walking around trying to avoid failure, you have this tension and anxiety all the time because you're so terrified. And I think it comes from, 
you know, probably comes from our school system because we, you know, back in the day was either pass or fail and fail was the worst possible thing that could happen. Um, meanwhile, failure is just like, okay, you went a different route and you got this conclusion. So it's like, it's not the end of the world. It just means you, you ended up with a different conclusion than somebody else. So what can you learn from that road that you took that apparently was failure? It's almost like the word has become a dirty word, but when you're making comedy, like that's, we're failing every day. That's just, everyone's accepted that that's part of the process and you cannot, you know, otherwise they would just write, you know, six, seven sketches every week. Those would be the ones in the show and boom, we do it. But we write a bunch and then you edit it down and then you have a selection process. And, um, so failure is part of every single day and part of every single week. And I think if more businesses allowed their employees to fail and that, and by the way, if they do fail, that it's not the end of the world, that it's like, no, we have a culture of where we try things to see if things work. Um, then people would try more and people would be more creative and people would maybe dig a little deeper. And I think people would step outside the box a little bit more and try something that's innovative and fresh. And you wouldn't just fall into these patterns of doing the same thing because you know that failure isn't the end of the world. But if you're at your job and you know that you fail or you, you mess something up, that you you could lose your job and you can lose your livelihood or a source of income, that's going to be a pretty rigid system to work in. You're going to probably stay within the lines for the most part. So I think that could be a thing that could really help a lot of organizations and businesses is creating a culture where failure to a certain extent, I mean, there's a time when, okay, now you have to deliver. There's no doubt about that. I mean, there's a time to deliver and there's a time to experiment and fail. Um, but that for the most part, failure isn't the end of the world and it shouldn't be something that people walk around terrified of all the time. Um, and if you can build that culture, I think that there's a real chance of, you know, your business or your organization growing, I think, because it's, it's one of the things that I don't even think comedians or people who create comedy even think about, but is that we kind of just embrace failure every day. It's just, it's not the end of the world. And I think it was um, Liz Gilbert, I think, mentioned how, you know, she, she talks a lot about um, creativity and vulnerability. And she said that uh, she finds it amazing when she talks to comedians, how they can go up and do stand-up comedy in front of people. And again, most people would think that would be the most terrifying thing to do in, in life is to go up and try and make people laugh, you know, make strangers laugh. But comedians will tell you if it doesn't go well, like you just go to bed and get up the next day. Like it's not the end of the world. It's not um, death. It's just, okay, you got information back, you know? And uh, I think it was Louis C.K. who said, um, you know, when you're working on new material, sometimes it's going to it's gonna be quiet for a while when you're on stage, you know? But you just embrace that that's, that's part of the process of finding out if material works or not. And it's not to be feared. It's not to be avoided. And I think once you get comfortable in discomfort, um, it gets easier to do and you don't look to avoid it all the time. And I think, um, I think more people could use that in their life in general is not being terrified to fail. And I mean, you know, we're talking about big things here, like maybe at your work or, um, maybe in your personal life, but like, if you could think about how many times we try to avoid failure on a daily basis, I mean, if you really sat back and looked at it, it's amazing how often, that fear creeps into your life. I'll give you an example. You go to the you know, say if you go to the gym, and uh, you're kind of bored with your workout, but and you wouldn't mind trying a different piece of equipment, but you're not quite sure how to use it. So you walk over to it, you kind of size it up, and then you're like, nah. 
and you go on and you go do, you know, go use a piece of equipment you've been using for 30 years. It's, it's those little moments. You're afraid to get in that machine because you're afraid you may not know how to use it properly and maybe someone will see you and you'll be embarrassed. So like this fear of failure it creeps into everyone's life and, and it's like a chameleon. It looks different all the time, whether it's trying a new restaurant or you go to a restaurant you love and you get the same dish every single time. Why? Because you're afraid of getting a dish that, a new dish, and suddenly you may not like it. And you're like, oh, no, I didn't get the right. It's like there's no right or wrong. It's just you tried something different. It didn't work out. No worries. You know, it's not the end of the world, but we we quite often look to avoid it. And uh, it's funny how it shapes our decisions and how we live our life on a daily basis. So I would think that if people can learn to just embrace failure a little bit more and not be afraid of it, like it's all often the best stuff is in the failure part, you know, it's uh that's where the data is. That's where that's where the good good soil is, you know. Mm. Green tea, everybody. Do you drink it? Do you have it? Do you ever have some of it? Do you like it? Hmm. Green tea people out there it's supposed to be really good for metabolism. Keep it fired up. That's why I'm drinking it right now. Need a little fire up here, you know. Um, a lot of folks been asking about my stand up and what's going to happen with that now that I have a full time job. That's right, full time work. Okay, who would have thunk it? And uh, I'm going to continue to do stand-up, but just a little bit more sporadically. Obviously, uh, it's hard to be on the road when uh, you have a full-time job, and it would only allow me to go on weekends. And then, as I said, you're kind of pretty uh, pretty bagged out, man, from uh, Monday to Friday working and coming up with ideas and doing that stuff. So... You know, the thoughts of getting on a plane on a Friday night or a Saturday and flying off to do a show every single weekend is just not realistic. I think you need, you know, I need time to kind of recharge and be ready again for Monday. So uh, it's going to be sporadic. Uh, the show is still going on, obviously, Fort McMurray, October 21st. Not a lot of tickets left for that one. Um, so that is the only one I have on the books as of right now, but probably going to be doing some more, some more in the new year, scheduling some in the new year. So uh, probably going to have some dates to announce uh, pretty shortly. But, um, and that show again in Fort McMurray is a stand-up and sit show. So we're going to do uh, like traditional stand-up and then going to have a Q&A at the end. And the one that we did in St. John's worked really well. People had some fantastic questions about just stand-up and creativity and life and whatever. And uh, it's not a chance for me to roast you, by the way. It's just me answering your question, whatever it is. And I'll try and answer it as honestly as I can. And... Um, and yeah, so it worked really, really well. I was really, uh, really happy with how it turned out. And, and people had some amazing questions and interesting. And I think it's the old adage of people saying, well, if you if you have a question, there's a good chance that other people in the audience will be, you know, wondering the same thing. And I think that's why I want to do it. It's like rather than go to a lobby of the theater and people ask one question and, you know, that's it. I thought it would be cool for other people to hear the answers to the question and because they may have the same one. So we're going to do that in Fort McMurray. And as I said, there's not a whole lot of tickets uh, left. You can go to Keanu Theater's website uh, or go to trendscomedy.com and uh, you can get tickets there. Uh, like I said, not a lot left, but looking forward to getting back up there. Crowds are always so good, so much fun. And um, they're one of the first cities to embrace my stand-up when I moved, when I kind of stepped in on my own to do my own thing. So uh, Fort McMurray is always um, a special place for me and it's always great to get back and and do my thing up there. So I'm uh, really looking forward to it. So if you're not going to be up there, or you know someone's going to be up there, you can let them know the show is going to go on October 21st at the Kiano Theater. Um, 
So yeah, so that's the plan with stand up, but just uh, trying to play it. I think it's been like three weeks since I've been on stage, so I got to start doing some warm up sets here to get ready for uh, the show here later in October and uh, and doing my thing, settling into life here in Halifax. As I said with the last podcast, it's really weird after 14 years of living in Calgary to fly home after a gig and be and fly to a different city. You know, it's it's uh, weird, but I think the very fact that you know, I've been a stand-up for 13 years, and a lot of it, of course, was travel and hotels and restaurants and airports and all that stuff. I think that has kind of served me well now that I'm here, where you just kind of learn to settle into a city and, um, you know, you get used to travel and those things. So I think, you know, Halifax is starting to starting to feel starting. To, I'm starting to break it in a little bit. You know, it's starting to feel normal and. You know, you have your grocery store and you have your little places you like to go for coffee and stuff. So you're starting to discover all those places and who's got good food and who's, you know, where's the great burger place and all those little things. And um, I haven't had a whole lot of time to kind of check out the rest of Halifax, uh, but I want to get down to the um, the boardwalk area by the water and, and do some of that and uh, and explore the city and maybe, you know, get out to different parts of Nova Scotia on the weekends and go check out some different areas. So I'm, I'm also looking forward to doing that too because i said like, the weather's going to be beautiful for another little while so i kind of want to take advantage of it but it is starting to feel very um very uh i guess more comfortable now like i feel like okay this is you get settled in at work you get settled into your accommodations and now it's like it becomes more routine and every day so so that's a great thing um i don't know why i just i don't talk about politics a whole lot uh on the podcast, I know people get sick and tired of it, and this isn't so much a political conversation or, or commentary, but just it's such a weird time where we are right now. And uh, I, you know, we just had this supposed um, terror attack in uh, in Edmonton. I guess details are still coming out about it, um, and I, it, it's it's a really it's a really challenging time, you know. I, I when I think about politics and I think about this whole idea of of political parties and you know, you're part of this party, I'm a part of this party, we now kind of, you know, obstruct each other and, and hold each other back and I have these ideals and you have these and it's like I just don't know if that's the way. I don't know if that's how things are supposed to work. It's like we're all individuals, no two lives are exactly the same, but you have to have some common ground that you can agree on. But it's almost like politics, especially in America, it seems to have become sport where, you know, this person is a Patriots fan. This person is a Green Bay Packers fan. And everything that the other side does is horrible. And everything your side does is justifiable, you know. And it, it just seems like the discourse is just breaking down to name calling and 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 a lack of effort to try and understand where the other side is coming from. And so I'm like, well, where does it, where do you end up at the end of the day? You know? And, um, so I feel, and it's not because I'm in this world, um, the stand-up comedy world and the sketch comedy world, but it's like, I, I think you probably need comedy now more than ever just to kind of make sense of, of what's going on in the world. And also as just kind of a bit of a relief from all this kind of madness that's just going on around us all the time, you know, from, uh, you know, natural disasters to this, you know, um, acts of terrorism to political ineptness. It's like, it's just, it just seems to go on and on. So you, 
the big fear, I guess, then is too that people can kind of become go in their own little bubble, and now you don't really worry about anyone else except yourself. You just stay in your lane, and I don't know if it's supposed to be that way either. You know, I think we're supposed to take care of one another. I think you're supposed to help one another. Um, and yes, you do still see that, which is great. But um, it's funny we talked about fear earlier and failure. It's like you know you see that on a larger world level now and on a political level. You know, it's like if you admit if you if you support someone and then they do something that is clearly wrong or something that they shouldn't have done, it's almost now that you won't admit that. People will continue to support that person and twist it and make it seem like it's it's acceptable as opposed to going like, no, that was wrong and that shouldn't have happened. And it's almost like it's a pride thing, like a pride steps in and doesn't allow you to admit wrongdoing or that the person you support has done something wrong. you know. And I feel like if there was just some quarter given on that scale, if someone on one side could say, yeah, that our guy messed up and uh, we apologize for it. It's almost like apology is a dirty word now. People just don't apologize. And, um, or not even apologize, but just admit wrongdoing or admit that they made a mistake. And again, I think it comes back to that fear of failing. Like no one wants to be perceived as failing. So therefore, you, you spin the truth. You lie about it. You deflect. Um, you bring up the other side's past um, indiscretions, you know, rather than just owning what it is in the moment that you may or may not done. It's just, it's such a weird time. And then you have young people who are watching this every day on the news and on social media and Twitter battles and name call. And it's just, what is, what's the end result? I don't know. Like, what is the next generation? How are they develop, developing, you know, in terms of a, a social consciousness? How is it, how is it shaping that, you know? And in some regards, I feel like they may be better off, not with regards to having seen all that. Maybe they sit back and laugh and go, oh my God, how ridiculous. But maybe maybe they're growing up in a generation that's just a little bit more open anyway, you know, that things are a little bit more acceptable in their, in their social demographic than they were for ours, for example. So I don't know, but I, I, I wonder about it all the time, and I wonder, like, in a year from now, where are we going to be and what's, what are things going to look like, what's the world going to look like? Will there be a world left? Will there, you know? And uh, so I, yeah, I feel like many of you, you probably sit around going, yeah, I don't know. I don't know what it is, but I don't know. I know compromise is the only way it's going to be, is the only way through, I think. And uh, I just don't know how many are willing to compromise. And that's the same thing in Canada. You know, one, one party wins, they get in. The other side sees it as their role to obstruct and to just make sure that they don't meet their agenda and fulfill their agenda. Um, And so the people as a whole, um, they suffer because nothing gets done. Or when something does get done, a new party comes in and they reverse what the other party did, you know. And at the end of the day, it's like, well, what what are we doing this for? It's almost like I said, become sport. It's about winning the championship. And winning the championship is getting elected. And then you win the championship. And now you're in, and now the other team is trying desperately to make it look like your championship is is not legitimate. Maybe there was drug testing that should have transpired, and you used performance enhancing drugs. But they're constantly trying to de- delegitimize your uh, your championship. Uh, or uh, yeah, so I don't know. I don't know what the answer is, but uh, I think comedy plays a role. I think it's it's a way where you can kind of cut through all the bullshit and just. And, and find a way to have fun with it and laugh at it, but also there's some truth in it. You know, I think that's the beauty of working on a show like 22 Minutes is you kind of get to, uh, 
you get to make commentary that other people wouldn't necessarily get to make and you get to exaggerate things for, for comedic purposes. And that's a great freedom. It's great to live in a country where you're allowed to do that, where that's a thing that's, that's acceptable. And that's also can be a job of yours. You know, um, I feel pretty, pretty grateful every single day that I get to do that for a living. That's a pretty cool. Um, that's a pretty cool thing. So I don't know, maybe you have ideas out there as to how we fix the world, but I don't know. I think, uh, one of the things I do think is important, I think, you know, for all of us as individuals to just kind of look at ourselves, it's like, what, what can we do on an individual daily basis to be a little nicer, be a little bit more understanding, to learn a little bit more, to question things a little bit more. Um, and that's something I think we can all control um, in our own lives, because sometimes the world, uh, it looks so confusing and complicated, and it looks so enormous in terms of the problems, challenges that you can become overwhelmed somewhat. And uh, sometimes a way to kind of get through that is to just bring it back to yourself and go, okay, well, what what can I do? How can I be better? Um, how can I be kinder to, to strangers? How can I be, um, how can I learn more and just have more knowledge about things? And that's, you know, that's something that all of us can do, I think. So, so maybe that's the answer, just starting with ourselves, perhaps. God, why don't I become this motivational guy who's just, uh, guys, thanks for tuning in here. It's about self-help and self-awareness and uh i uh tomorrow's a new day and the sun will rise and uh you're getting very sleepy you are fu- oh, okay all right no actually I almost put myself to sleep there but um yeah so i don't know maybe that's the answer just trying to be better be a better you huh i'll try and be a better me you try and be a better you Mm-mm. that green tea ah, huh? hitting the spot that is that is what is going a down. Um, all right. Well, that's it for me. She's a little shorter this week because um, I got to make some supper, people. I got to eat. You know what I mean? This guy is uh, going to try out the barbecue here at the old condo. Give it a spin. Light it up. Fire it up. See what happens. You know what I mean? And uh, going to do that and maybe uh, rehearse a little. I uh, got a sketch. I got to shoot in the morning. Gonna rehearse that, and then uh, yeah, we tape tomorrow night on Monday night. So maybe I'll see some of you there, and if I don't, that's fine. I'm not judging you. I'm not here to judge, you know. And um, so yeah, so I gotta I gotta get uh, on that process. So have a fantastic week, everybody. Thanks again for listening, and uh, you uh, you're a champion. Okay, just keep telling yourself you're a champion, and you're gonna go get it. And uh, and life is good. And, uh, yeah, we'll see you again next week. All right. Bye-bye. That's how it all started, like a whisper in your ear. You told them you loved them and ran as fast as you could. It's not to be taken lightly, but then you never were. Fingers bleeding, your body aches from the thunder in your heart. So you laid on the line, blindfolded and chalk marked, like a good little soldier. You knew just what you were. Can you give up now? Can you turn this around? 
Can you keep your heart beating? How do you live when you don't know how? So you laid on the line, blindfolded and chalk marked, like a good little soldier. Knew just what you were. Okay. 